If you have a copy of the scriptures, open up to Acts chapter 1. If you need a copy, uh, raise your hand and we can get you one. We're starting a new series this morning entitled Identity Crisis. Who on earth are we supposed to be? And this series, what we're going to be looking at is some of the core values here at Genesis. Every year or so, I'll do a talk on what our vision is, who we are as a community, try and keep ourselves aligned with the things that we believe God has called us to. And it's important for me to be able to share with you the things that I believe identify us as a community. Because a couple of reasons, I want you to know what we're about. I want you to have an idea of what this community is because it's easy to go to church and you have all your ideas of what church is about and then you come in here and maybe I say something and you say, that's different. At least that's what I hear quite often. (laughs) That was different. Um, And I want you to know where we're coming from, why I'm sharing the things that I'm sharing, what our direction is as a community. It might be a little different than what you're used to, and I want to try and make it known to you so that you can either be on board or at least have some of the questions answered or maybe say, adios, this isn't for me. And I'm serious that we're not everybody's cup of tea. I said on Facebook, we're more like coffee, okay? And it's okay to recognize that there are things that are about this community that might not be things that you will identify with or want to partner with. If that's the case, then that's fine. And so what I want to do is kind of give you a little review of who we are, how we got to where we are. And I guess it starts with me a number of years ago at a conference. I was at a worship conference, and at this time I was full-time on staff in ministry, and I was leading worship as well as overseeing kind of assistant pastor role. And I went to this worship conference, and it was about a three-day conference. It was a huge conference, and at one of the morning devotions, a guy named Buddy Owens spoke, and he spoke on Joshua chapter 3. And in that devotion, he talked about how Joshua was stepping into this role that God had for him, but that unlike Moses before him who went to the Red Sea and the Red Sea just parted and they crossed on dry land, Joshua had to actually step in the water before they parted. And he said, maybe God has something for you, but it's not going to happen until you step into the water. And it was as if someone took those paddles that they do on emergency vehicles. Yes, I'm very technical with these things. And they just kind of hit you. You know, they say clear and they rub them together for some reason just to see sparks or whatever, you know, clear, boom. And it was this someone just hit me with those paddles and just, it was as if God was saying, I have more for you. Are you willing to step into the water? And like maybe you, I said, well, what is it? (laughs) I'll let you know if you tell me what it is. 
But like God does so many times, he didn't tell me. He didn't say, well, it's going to be this, this, and this. I was just like, I knew that I was not content where I was. And I was already too busy. The amount of time I was putting in was already too much for me and for my family. But I felt as if God was saying, no, you need to do something more. And I remember sharing with the people that were there that morning, I feel like God's telling me I'm supposed to do something there. You were there, weren't you, Julie, at that time? I was like, I don't know what it is. I just feel like it's something more. And I remember thinking, well, maybe it's to start another work, another church. And I started a youth ministry. And, And what was happening within me is I felt the need to take my faith outside of the walls that I was living in. Because even though I was full-time in ministry, most of those 60 hours a week that I was putting in were inside this building. And I just felt like I I needed to get outside. Some things weren't sitting well with me and and how I was living. One of the speakers there at the conference was Erwin McManus, who is at Mosaic. And I remember really connecting to the things that he was sharing. And so I started reading some of his books and started listening to some of his podcasts. And have you ever had someone speak and you feel like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking? You know, it's like you identify. It's like, that's what I was feeling, but I didn't have words for it. And the things that he was sharing was really connecting to the things that I was feeling. And I just felt this new sensation of I am excited about the things of God again. Now, I'd been a Christian for years. I'd been serving full-time for about six years. I'd been involved with ministry, gosh, longer than some of you are alive. But all of a sudden, there was this rekindling of excitement of something that I was supposed to be a part of. And I felt like this was an area where I was supposed to be stepping in and bringing this gospel message to those who were outside the walls of the church and and connecting with people in a way that they could understand who Jesus was, where they were at. And and so some things started changing in how I wanted to do ministry, which led to us being here, long story short. And, And I think it's real important that you know, and you know clearly who we're connected to and what we're about. We are kind of a sister or maybe a step cousin church to Mosaic. We have gone to a a few of the men's Highlanders. I've been invited to a lot of their leadership meetings. We've done some men's uh, things together, and I'm going to a retreat this weekend, next weekend, uh, with the Mosaic group called Terra Nova. And so we are connected to them, but we're not Mosaic. We are Genesis, and there are differences between us and them, but there is a lot of similarities. And I think it's important you know that because Erwin McManus is a figure that has a lot of controversy surrounding him. And I want to put to rest some of the things that you might hear about him or about us. A lot of people will say, well, he's emergent. If you don't know what emergent means, don't worry about it. It's not important. But the bottom line is you need to know he's not. And neither are we. 
And so if someone says to you, oh, well, yeah, I hear Genesis is emergent, you should tell them, no, they're not. Or better yet, you should say, why do you say that? Well, I heard someone told me, or I read online somewhere, of course, everything you read on the internet is true, and so I heard this somewhere, and you should, if you are so inclined, ask them to say, well, exactly what? And if they say something like, well, I hear that they don't believe in the Bible, then you could say, well, no, that's not true, they do. Well, I hear they don't believe in in sin. You could tell them, no, that's not true. They actually do believe those things that are in Scripture. If you're so inclined, you can say those things. But most of the time, people just hear say, and it's a shame that people feel that it's okay to slander other Christians just because they don't do things the way they do. Okay, moving on. Open up to Acts chapter 1. The book of Acts, written by Luke, who also wrote the gospel, is telling the story of the church. The church, as it's described in Scripture, is not a building. It is the movement of Jesus through the people who believe in Christ, who believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And the church is that group of believers. And so, as we have said many times, we don't go to church, we are the church. This is a book about the church, how it is being expressed into society and the world around it. And at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, Luke writes, in my former book, which is the Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. One of the biggest convincing proof that he was alive was that he was alive, okay? There he was. That, that, that'll prove it to you if anything else doesn't. Well, let's have an argument. No, there he is. Okay, that's going to prove it. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, not just an apparition that showed up in someone's upper room one day. It was something that took place over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, now that's just a trip. This guy was dead. Now you're sitting eating with him. Sorry, I just am, this is my commentary. As he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Here he is launching this movement. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father promise, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. While they were there intently 
looking up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Father, as we look at these words, we ask that you would again inspire us, give us insight, and speak to us even as you did those early followers. Lord, we submit ourselves to you at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. What an amazing event. Here he is, alive again. What was going on in the disciples' minds, just I cannot begin to fathom. As Jesus has been brutally crucified, dead, and now he's alive, and he's sitting here eating with us, and he's talking to us, and boy, the things that you're thinking, well, are you going to set up the kingdom now with Jerusalem? Are you going to bring all these things? And he seems to just like, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to use you. You're going to be given this incredible power and you're going to be my witnesses. And Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, oh, Samaria too, and the rest of the world. Oh my goodness. We are going to be used to change the world. Oh, this is exciting. And then he leaves. And they're there looking at him. What would you be thinking? Come back. Don't go now. There's this whole world thing you were talking about. And Jesus gives to them the responsibility to be his example, the proof of God to the rest of the world. And I love in verse 11, it says, men of Galilee. <laughs> that, that's who he's talking to, men of Galilee. It's like people of Upland. I want you to be the example of God to the rest of the world. See ya. And he goes. And it's upon them that this responsibility rests. But it doesn't rest just upon them. They are given the Spirit in chapter 2, the power of God. And we see people like Peter who denied Jesus at one time, now willing to die for Jesus. And as history tells us that Je or Peter, when he was martyred, would not be crucified, but said, crucify me upside down. I'm not even worthy to die like my Lord. And the word witnesses, the word witness, is actually the same word that we use for martyr. I don't know if that makes you feel better or worse. The idea is you are going to be the example for me. 
And what he is not saying is you are going to go and tell everyone just about the story. You are going to be the living example of the story. You are witnesses. You're not just witnessing. There's a difference. A martyr is someone who exemplifies this in their own body. You are going to be my example. You are going to picture what it is I am about. And then he goes on and they wait and they're like freaking out probably, at least I would be. And we see that God entrusts to these men of Galilee the mission of taking this message of who Jesus is to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he gives them the ability and the power to do it. Now, here is why we are going through this series. I believe that that commission, that empowerment that's been given to us has become dormant in many of us and in many churches. And and I'm not here to try and say, we're good, they're bad. I'm just wanting you to know where we are at and how I see what is before us. You see, I, I believe that if we try and preserve ourselves as a church, if we're trying, if our goal becomes to preserve our existence, we want to keep our conveniences, our traditions, our preferences, our culture, the way we want things to be, the way we want the world to be, we're going to try and get everyone to conform and be like us, and we try to maintain and preserve our existence, we will set the course for our own extinction. Because the world is not going to sit still and be like us if we are not setting the example of what is to happen. Now, make no mistake, the, the church is not going away. If we, like many churches that you may know of, have gone by the way, the church will still go on. Jesus told Matthew in chapter 16, or told Peter in Matthew chapter 16, that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. And so the church isn't going anywhere. It's going to continue. But you know as well as I have that there have been many movements and many churches that have done really well. And then the numbers taper, 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 and then everyone's over 70, and then... Pretty soon, there's no one there a part of that church. In in Europe, when we were in Wales, there'd be these beautiful churches made out of stone and rock, and out in the courtyard of all these churches are all these graves because that's where they would bury the people of the church. Now, I thought, well, I guess that limits how many people can belong to this church, how much room you got. And now this beautiful building has now become a restaurant, And no one goes there anymore. Why? Because that movement has died. The gospel didn't die. The movement of Christ didn't die. The movement in that church died. Why? Why does that happen over and over again? When does a movement stop moving? When it becomes comfortable? When it wants to establish itself and set that comfort as the level? I like us. I like what we do. 
This is who we are. Everyone now has to maintain this identity. And that's the beginning of the extinction that will take place. The church cannot live and will not move forward if the heart of God is not beating within us. And the heart of God is to seek and save that which is lost. That is the heart of God. If that is not our heart, then we will cease to exist. And so God is always concerned with us being witnesses. He's always concerned with us reaching the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That is the mission. That is the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. That is our calling. That is the blood that flows through our veins. That is to be our mindset. But it is so easy for us to lose that mindset and to become comfortable with who we are. And it happens over and over again. And now to take this faith of ours out into this world around us, it becomes messy. And the people aren't as friendly as we'd like them to be. And they're involved with things that we want to keep our kids away from. And pretty soon we don't go out into the world. What we want to do is develop our own culture and be secure in ourselves, be happy. You cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if you refuse to touch it. If we refuse to go, we will not have any effect in the people's lives around us. And how much of our lives in Christendom has become secluded? We have our own music, we have our own schools, we have our own clothing, I'm not saying that Christian schools are bad. I'm not saying that Christian music is bad. But we have become so exclusive that we have our own identity. Do you even know who the top 10 artists are, music artists, in 2012? Your kids probably do. Do you know what the top TV shows are? Your kids are probably watching them. And so the world is going on, and if we seclude ourselves, they will keep moving on, and pretty soon we will become obsolete. We will not be in touch with those things that are taking place. You see, we have this idea that the world around us is becoming very godless, and so we need to protect our beliefs. But did you know that spirituality is actually on the rise in the United States? That atheism is actually on the decline? Did you know that? But the hard truth is, even though spirituality is on the rise, Christianity is not. They want to be spiritual, but they don't want to be Christian. And the reason they don't want to be Christian is because they don't like what they see in the church. And we have to at least look and talk about that if we're going to deal with it. Because it's not that people don't believe in God. Now they believe in a multitude of gods. I'll take a little bit of Jesus and I'll take a little bit of Buddhism and I like these things as well. And they'll start making a little smorgasbord of beliefs 
And it becomes their belief that determines their life. Are you able to address that? Are you able to talk to a person with those beliefs? Do you know where they're at and what they believe? Or do you just throw it all away and say they're not Christian? Stay away from that. Or here, I want you to believe what I believe. If you don't believe it, then you're going to hell. And that's the extent of those things. And pretty soon we close the door to conversation and we are not engaging the people around us. You see, we were once called Christians by an unbelieving world who looked and said, you guys are acting like Jesus. But now we call ourselves Christians and the world around us says, you're hypocrites. Can we see why? Do we understand what's taking place and what are we going to do with that? We've ceased being relevant and have become in the worst way religious. And what I mean by relevant isn't compromise. What I mean is we have little to give to the society around us because they see us as obsolete and as no use. We no longer have a voice in their lives. Let me give you a story. The names aren't true, but let me assure you this story happens in many ways, and it's based on truth. There's a young boy, Joey. He's in eighth grade. He's 13 years old, and he's a normal 13-year-old kid. His parents go to church. They're involved with the church, involved with the leadership. Joey's there at least Sunday morning and maybe another time during the week. And if they have any high school events where they're supposed to go to baseball games, we go to movies and things like that that happen. Uh, Joey's a part of those kinds of things. He's there often. Now, in Joey's school and in a couple of his classes, there is a girl. Her name is Danae. And Joey is infatuated with Danae. He sees stars. He started taking baths, <laughs> brushing his teeth, using deodorant, things he's never done in his life. And he really likes her. And as he's talking to her, he, he wants to take her out and maybe go somewhere. And he asks her to go bowling with him one time. And she says she can't right now and that she is you know, she's not allowed to go out right now that she's actually, uh, it's Ramadan, it's time for her family. Joey doesn't know who Ramadan is, but he'd be happy to meet him and go do Ramadaning too. <laughs> and so Joey goes home and Joey has a little sister who's in the seventh grade who thinks it's her job to know everything and tell everything to everyone because she is a girl and 12 years old. Not that that applies to all you 12-year-old girls. But Joey's sister tells his parents, Joey's got a girlfriend. They go, oh, you do, Joey? Who's your girlfriend? And his sister says, well, she's a Muslim. The parents, <gasps> they sit Joey down. They bring out their Bibles. They turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and they tell Joey, Joey, you cannot be unequally yoked with a non-believer. 
Joey's thinking, I don't want to be yoked. I just want to go out with this girl. I don't know what, what's wrong. She's a nice girl. She, she respects her parents. She's not a party or she just seems like a nice girl. Parents say, no, I'm sorry. We, we've got to put our foot down. So they draw the line. Joey, you cannot go out with this girl. Then comes one of those dances. What are they, Sadie Hawkins? Is that the dance where the girls ask the guy? Who is Sadie Hawkins? <laughs> what a renaissance woman this lady is. And, and so Sadie Hawkins' dance comes up, and Danae comes up to Joey and says, hey, can you go with me to the dance? Joey goes home, begs his parents, please let me go. Parents say, no, we've told you, you can't go out, you're a Christian. The horror, Joey has to go back and tell Danae, I can't go out with you. And she goes, why not? And she says, well, I'm a, he says, I'm a Christian. She's hurt, doesn't understand. He's mortified, feels humiliated. Goes back to his church group. And they're having an outing as well. And so he's going to go out with some of the church kids. So he goes out with Sally bowling and out to the show and stuff. But Sally, whose parents are friends with Joey's parents, who also serve at the church, Sally is a party animal. Sally has a friend whose brother is over 21, is able to get alcohol, and so Al Sally has some booze, and so for the first time, Joey drinks, and it's with the Sally from the youth group. And pretty soon, Joey starts getting connected with some of Sally's friends, they're at the school. They, hey, yeah, I remember you. You were at the party. And so now pretty soon, Joey is getting involved in partying and he's drinking and he tells his parents, oh, I'm going to go do this. And he does something else. I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but it's happened a couple of times in the past. I told. And so now they find out that Joey is drinking. And they're concerned because Joey's friends aren't the friends that they want. So they pull Joey out of school and they put him in a Christian school to try and change his environment. And so he goes to the Christian school and, and lo and behold, his friend Sally goes there as well. And so now Joey in his mind is thinking, okay, this Jesus doesn't like Danae, who was a good girl, because she's Muslim. But Sally, who parties and drinks, and these kids who go to the church who are sleeping around and doing these things, they're okay. This isn't okay. But God says this isn't okay. But these people are wrong. And he has this little turmoil that goes on. And so now what the church has done is raise some of the best atheists around that say, I don't want to believe any of it. And Danae thinks Christians don't like her because she's Muslim. And this has become the state of what Christianity looks like in many places. And instead of Joey's friends saying, Danae, she's a Muslim, let's have the family over for dinner. Let's get to know them. You want to go to the dance? Great, we'll get to meet her, get to meet her parents. I mean, the 13-year-olds are going to the dance. They're not getting married. How many of you are still friends with the people who are 13? If you're over 16, okay? <laughs> a couple of you, you keep in touch, 
It's not an ongoing thing, most of us. But you see, instead of looking at this as an opportunity where I can wash the feet of a dirty world, we just don't want to touch it. And so we pull our kids out of these circumstances instead of stepping into them and being the light of the world. Has this ever bothered you? Let me tell you my process in going through this. Have you ever read this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, don't be yoked together with an unbeliever? And then you've seen Jesus who hangs out with unbelievers and say, what's going on here? Has anyone ever thought that? Okay, well, now you have. How do those things work? Because Jesus is our example. But Paul is writing and telling us to be wary of these things. How do they coincide and how do they look? And you see, what we've done is taken what Paul said in 2 Corinthians to warn those people not to be influenced in their behavior by the culture that was very, very bad. And we've taken that to mean, well, anyone who doesn't believe like you do, you don't talk to them. You see, in Corinth, to worship God meant you go and are with a prostitute. That was how they worshiped. Paul says, don't be, une- don't be yoked together with that. Don't allow their beliefs to start bringing you into captivity with where they do. The idea of a yoke is you're bound to something. And so the idea of being yoked is about what you do, not just what someone believes. It's about how you conduct yourself. That's why Jesus could be there with the non-believers and he didn't get yoked to them or their behavior. If you've got a problem with alcohol, you best not go to a bar and try and talk to your friends. Because you'll find yourself yoked to them, and pretty soon you'll find yourself, you know, where you'll be. But there are some people who don't have this problem with alcohol and can actually talk to someone in a pub or in a place like that and not be yoked to that person like Jesus was. Well, I know this is scary. I know some of you are going, oh no, oh no, you can't, can't go there. No, don't, don't cross, that's dangerous. Have you ever heard this? I'm getting ahead of myself. What we've tried to do is make the church a fortress. And so the church is now seen as this fortress from the world rather than a force in the world. And the gospel has shifted from a church on mission to a church that supports mission. The church is where you're safe. You come to the church and you're safe in here. The beliefs are what you know, you're secure in. Instead of we are a force that is going out into the world. Remember, Jesus said, you're going to go to Judea. Samaria. Samaria wasn't a good place. Corinth was not a good place. Does God not want them to go to Corinth? Do you know what they do for worship in Corinth? You can't go there. I'm telling you, Vegas is like preschool 
to Corinth. Oh, don't go there. It's bad. But there was something in Jesus' words that said, you're going to have power. And you're going to represent me in places like Corinth. When Paul was going through the book of Acts, he said, I must go to Rome. Rome was the center of the world. If I'm going to fulfill this mission that Jesus sent me on, it's going to mean I go to the heart. And he did. He was driven to take this message, to be an example of this message into the world. And instead of being afraid, oh no, don't go there, they're dirty. His mentality was, I have the power of God with me to change the life of the people around me. I have the love of God that has changed who I was. I was killing Christians and thinking I was doing God's service and it has captured me and changed me. If it can do that for me, it can do that for them as well. You see, I remember when I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I remember what was going on in my mind. I remember this one time. Every day what I would do is I'd get together with my friends, lived in Santa Monica at the time, and, and we would get together and we would jam with our guitars and get high. That's what we did and eat too because they went together. And, and so we would play guitar, get high and eat and we'd just hang out for hours and we'd learn songs and we'd make up our own songs and that's what we did. And I remember I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I didn't know much about Jesus and I, I went back home and I went to school and I started doing the same things, still playing guitar, still getting high, still eating, still doing all those things. And I remember I got this cool sticker it was a fish. You guys remember the fish? It was the ichthus. And, and each letter stood for something. It was Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. And it was how the early church would get together because it was dangerous. Because they'd kill you if they found out you were gathering together. And so they'd write this little ichthus. And you knew that meant, oh, there's a gathering here. And so they would meet. And so I thought, oh, this was cool. It was a silver ichthus. And I put it on my guitar case. All right, I got myself a Jesus sticker. And I remember going over to my friend's house again, and we were there doing the same thing. We were jamming, we were getting high. And then one of the guys said, you know what bothers me? I don't know how the conversation came up. He goes, man, these Christians, they really bug me. They're everywhere. And he started bleep, bleep, bleeping Christians. Yeah, um, the other guy chimed in, yeah, I hate those stupid Christians. Blah, blah, blah. And I was just and I go, wow, wow, this is heavy. And right after they said that, the guy goes, hey, man, that's a cool sticker. What does that mean? I see those everywhere. <laughs> well, it means Jesus Christ, God's Son and Savior. I'm a Christian. And it got real silent and everyone went back to eating their sandwiches. And it was like, oh, okay. And all of a sudden there was this world. But you see, I remember where I was. And Jesus took me where I was and changed me. Did I stop believing he could do that? with others? Did I stop believing that God could take a person who didn't care about... The only thing I knew about Jesus was from the movie Jesus Christ Superstar. Serious, which isn't really anything. <laughs> and someone who was involved in the things I was involved with and so far away from God 
The power of God was able to get my heart and change me. The power of God is still able to do that today. Do we believe that? And if we believe that, then shouldn't we go into those places where they need the touch of Jesus? If you want to be in a fortress, you're going to keep yourself from being a force that the world can reckon with. And we need to recognize that that is the case for us many times. It's predictable and stable are the dominant themes in the Christian environment, becoming comfortable. Church is about getting our needs met. I, I don't like that church because, you know, I'm just not getting my needs met. And it's become a place of service. That's why we call this a gathering and not a service. We're, we're not Burger King. You don't get it your way. It's, it's meant for us to gather together and to be a force to reckon with. And so we, we've got people who have issues, and I have issues, and you have issues too. And we deal with those things together moving forward. You see, we like to blame the problems. I've got to end this soon. We've got to blame the problems on the things that happen around us. 1963, they took prayer out of public schools, and we said, oh, our society went down from that time on. And you can list all the things that started happening, but do you realize taking prayer out of the schools wasn't the decline of our society? It's when Christians stopped praying. That's when there was a decline. When Christians stopped being the force of God, then there was the decline. When you got comfortable and expected the world to cater to you, that's when there was the decline. When we stopped being moved by the power of God and a force to reckon with, seeing the power of God change people's lives, that's when there was the decline. And we've been trying to play catch-up ever since. Trying to demand people, no, cater to me, cater to me. Put, put prayer back in school. Who cares if prayer is back in school if you don't pray? Who cares how much you know the Bible if you don't live it? What needs to happen is the, the God who changed the world back then to grab hold of our hearts, change us, and change the world that we're in. And he's able to do that if we would just trust in him to do those things. But the focus of the church many times has been herself instead of the world around us. And we want the church to meet our needs, offer us a good experience, and people become spectators. And we've lost an army that is meant to go out and touch and heal a broken world. We have moved from we are the church here to serve the lost and broken world to what does the church have to offer me? And it's detrimental. It's one thing to have preferences. I like this kind of music. I like a more dynamic speaker. Sorry. I, I like these kinds of things, but it's another thing that demands my preferences be put above the needs of a lost world around me. And I believe that many times that's the crisis 
that we find ourselves in. We've lost that identity and that purpose that we're here. Maybe you've heard this, I just want to be in the center of God's will. And for us, the center of God's will is everything's going good. The center of God's will is peaceful. The center of God's will is the bills are paid, the car starts, praise God. Our car didn't start this morning. The center of God's will, I must be out of God's will. The center of God's will is everything is going well. But if I see scripture clearly, these disciples that Jesus spoke these words to, when they were in the center of God's will, they were all martyred, except for John. You want to be in the center of God's will? It's a dangerous place. It's a dangerous place. In fact, being in God's will doesn't take us out of danger, but it makes us dangerous. And people who are dangerous get dealt with. But they also make a change. And so, what do we want to be? What do we think of as the center of God's will for us as a community? I see it as being dangerous. I see it as being exposed to the world around us and influencing and changing the lives of people who are in all these various areas that you know who are lost. If you will not go to those who are lost, who will? Who will? If we don't have the heart of God for people, who is going to? If we don't represent Jesus, who will? It has to be us. We've been called to this. And so we need to get out of our security and get lost in this dangerous will of God and allow the fire and the power of God to move us into places where we wouldn't normally go and to say things that we normally wouldn't say and to do those things that would frighten us like Peter going into Cornelius' house. This is a Gentile. I don't go there. He's unclean. Don't call anything that I've cleansed unclean. Go. And, and you see, these people in the book of Acts that went, they weren't part of, okay, yeah, the church of Jerusalem is now going to do an outreach. They're going to rent a stadium and have a lot of the Christian bands come and do this there. They, they didn't do that. Not that that's wrong. That's fine. But what Philip did was just go up to the Ethiopian eunuch and talk to him and lead him to Christ. He wasn't commissioned by anyone. It was just who he was. Who are you? Who are we? See, institutions will try and preserve culture. Movements create culture. The early church changed the world. What do we want to do? Do we want to change the world? That's why on our bulletin, it's embolden one another to begin changing the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. It's not enough to come here and be happy. 
and have a church experience. We need to change the world, people. And we've been called to do nothing less. How are we going to do that? By us hearing from God and working and living the way God has called us to do. And there's different areas where we try and involve ourselves with where you can partner in if you want to go to Mexico. I think Alex is Alex in Mexico right now? Where's your dad? No. Well, when he goes to Mexico, you can go there with Mexico. If we go to Haiti, you can join us to Haiti. If you want to knit, you can knit for you know, Genesis and, and have fun knitting. There's different ways where we're connecting with different people that you can jump in, but you're not limited to those things. You know, we didn't tell Joe, hey, every Sunday I want you to go and deal with the kids at the detention center. Joe wanted to, and he does. What do you want to do? You don't need permission to move in the things that God called you to do. If you want help, call and talk to us. We'll be happy to help. And so this is where we are going. And so here are some of the things that we're going to be talking about in the next, in the weeks to come. Mission is why the church exists. That's what we've been called to. That's what Acts starts, and we're going to look into that a little bit for more. Love is the context for all mission. There's a reason and a motive behind what we do, and it is love. If it's not love, it's the wrong motive. Structure must always submit to spirit. God is not going to be bound by our structure and the way we want to do things. We must always submit to the spirit and the spirit's leading and the things that we do. Relevance to culture is not optional. If you're irrelevant, guess what? You're irrelevant. Okay, it's not, for some reason, this becomes a focal point. It, but the church is always about 50 years behind. You know, there was a time when you don't play the guitar in church. It was sinful. Guess what? Now guitars are in church. What happened? Oh, I guess if we're going to try and be contemporary, well, what happened is all the kids grew up. They said, I ain't playing that organ. (laughs) And so creativity is the natural result of spirituality and what i mean by creativity isn't going to be you're going to be a painter you're going to be you know a poet it means that you are going to produce things your life is going to have production value because that is the result of being spiritual and so these are going to be kind of the core values that we're going to go over in the next weeks but i just wanted to set this introduction and i'm sorry it took a little bit longer than i planned but i want you to know what we are as a community. And as we go into these core values, I want to show you the direction that we're heading in. If you have questions about what I'm talking about or or my beliefs regarding scripture, regarding any of these things, please ask me. It's amazing. I haven't changed what I believe since 30 years ago, but I do do everything different. I do see everything a little bit different. And I believe a lot clearer. And it comes from asking some of these questions that I ask, like, how come Jesus did this? Why is Paul saying this? And how did these fit? And I believe some of the answers are really freeing and helpful. And so I'd I'd love to talk to you about these things if you have any questions, but I want you to know who Genesis is, where we're going, and our heartbeat. And so this is, that's it. Okay. Let's pray. 
Father, I, I pray, Father, that I have not made things more confusing than clear. And I pray that the direction that I believe you've called us to in Scripture from the, the moment you launched the church forward in Acts is still our marching orders today. And I pray, God, that you would help us to do a little inward searching to see if maybe I've gotten comfortable. Maybe I don't want to be put out. Maybe my ideas of what this living a life for Jesus is like is really not your ideas. Maybe I'm trying to make a fortress that I can live in secure and safe and what you're wanting me to do is very dangerous. It's very insecure. It's going to require faith. Maybe that's my problem, Lord, is I really am lacking in faith. My faith has become complacent, comfortable. And if so, Lord, I pray that you would awaken me from my sleep that you would shake me so that I care, that I would not be numb to the world around me, that it would be as much of my concern as it has been for you, and that I would see that it involves me personally. It's not an organization that is going to reach the world. It is me. It is your people given your commission being your witnesses. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us in this endeavor. Lord, we cannot do it unless you empower us. I wouldn't want to try unless you equipped us and gave us the ability. If your spirit did not drive us and empower us, Lord, I would not want to step foot into this world without it. But we are more than conquerors if you will strengthen us. We can do all things as you strengthen us. Lord, we have been commissioned by you, empowered by you. May we go. And Father, at this time, I also want to lift up Cindy Torres' dad to you as it just came to my mind. She texted me this morning. He's in the hospital. He's very weak. They found blood in his urine. And Lord, it doesn't look good. I pray that you would have mercy on him, strengthen his body, comfort Cindy and the family around, that you would... Help them, Lord, to be an encouragement to him at this time and use them in his life. Father, we entrust them to you and our hearts go out to her. And I thank you again for everyone here. I pray you have your way with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.